The following is a conversation I had recently with Leslie Wingard, a CTI member in our program on religion and economic inequality. Wingard is an associate professor of English at the College of Worcester in Worcester, Ohio. She's published articles in Religion and Literature, Religion and the Arts, South, a scholarly journal, and American Quarterly, and she's written a book manuscript under contract with the University of Georgia Press. Wingard has held positions as the Mellon Postdoctoral Fellow in Visual Culture at Williams College, Research Fellow in the Departments of English and African American Studies at Princeton University, and Research Fellow at Princeton Theological Seminary. As a literature scholar who's interested in religion, in what follows she discusses how her own work intersects with the question of economic inequality. Thanks for joining the conversation. So Leslie, just to get us started, maybe talk a bit about your own background and how you got interested in the study of literature as an academic subject and including literature and religion. I know you work at that intersection of, of both. Sure. Thanks, Josh. I'm glad to be here. Uh, as an undergraduate at Spelman College in Atlanta, I wrote a senior thesis um, to uh, graduate with honors. You had to do this. And I was very interested in spiritual autobiographies that I had been um, introduced to in class. Um, so my mentor was really helpful in steering me in that direction um, after writing papers about some of these in my um, coursework. Um, so for instance, I wrote on um, figures like Jarena Lee, Zilpha Elaw, so really early black women who wrote their spiritual autobiographies and um, that were in print and that we dealt with um, in class. Um, so I built a project off of that. I also read some um, Native American captivity narratives like Mary Rowlandson's. Um, so this all kind of came together in my general interest today. I now work on more contemporary texts, but it started there with the early women who were writing about their religious lives. Do you ever circle back and read those even today? Yes, and I use them in my teaching. So um, I reread them before I teach them and read them alongside some of my students at the College of Worcester in Ohio. Where you teach uh, in the literature department. So yes. how, how have some of your students uh, reacted to those, those texts? They didn't know that they existed. Yeah. So that is really exciting to me. So they're, it's not usually the kind of text that they're introduced to in high school. So it's really nice to let them know that these are out there and then they get, some students get more and more interested and start digging deeper into archives and realizing that there are a lot of different archives around the country at different universities. Um, and that many, many people are doing this kind of work of uncovering some of the more or less lesser known um, figures that have paved the path for some of the writers of today. And who are some of the writers of today that you're focusing on now? Um, right now I'm looking um, in particular at a novel by Alice Walker that's not taught as much as maybe some of her others called Meridian. I teach and research some short stories by Zora Neale Hurston. I'm interested in comparing some of these texts to some visual works, so I look at Meridian next to an art exhibit by Carrie Mae Weems called The Hampton Project exhibit, and I look at um, Zora Neale Hurston's short stories um, in conjunction with some visual artwork by Willie Cole, a Newark, New Jersey artist. That kind of dovetails with the next question, which was, talk to me about the project that you've been working on here at CTI during this project we have on religion and economic inequality. 
Sure. Um, while here at CTI, um, my writing has been on a particular theme, sin, servanthood, and inequality in African-American lit and culture. And this is a small part of a larger project. I've been primarily trying to rethink domestic lives and economic inequalities by exploring how black writers and visual artists imbue common symbols of labor, uh, like wash tubs, laundry baskets, irons, ironing boards, um, and they imbue these with greater spiritual and political resonance, I think. Since black Americans were often relegated to domestic service as a badge of dishonor, um, in particular, I'm interested in how corrupt interpretations of religious scripture were associated with people of African descent. People of African descent were looked at as being divinely intended hewers of wood, drawers of water, um, based on presumed inherent and inherited sinfulness and inferiority. Um, for example, we could think about the curse of Ham in the book of Genesis utilized as a justification for slavery. Um, so I'm looking at um, Willie Cole and Zora Neale Hurston rewriting that kind of narrative. Um, so they're presenting us with a counter narrative. Um, and in my public uh, lecture at CTI, I talked about that counter narrative. How have been some of the the responses you've got in creating that counter narrative and bringing these these new voices to bear on contemporary debates? Um, well, I like to tell audiences or tell my classes that Hurston as a fiction writer and Willie Cole as a visual artist, they're featuring the same everyday household objects um, that I mentioned, like the iron and the ironing board. Um, but redeeming these implements of servitude um, that were seen as symbols of economic inequality and refiguring them as symbols of grace or symbols of beauty and of essentially black people's spiritual perseverance. How has the, the dialogue at CTI, as you've been working on this project, has it sort of changed the way you're seeing things? Have you, how has it developed the project as you've been going along this semester? Um, since I'm um, in my larger project looking at pairings of words, it's been very interesting to talk to different interdisciplinary scholars here um, about the same words in their different contexts. Um, so in the work on domestic labor using the iron and the ironing board, et cetera, I think about sin. Um, the sin of servanthood, some people say, the sin of slavery. Here at CTI, I've been able to talk to scholars from the U.S., from Australia, from South Africa, about other kinds of words that have theological resonance, like debt, um, like forgiveness, uh, reparations, covenant. So all within the theme or under the theme of economic inequality. Um, so putting our minds together has really made my project much more rich, I think. How do you think we might think about this, these issues of economic inequality as part and parcel of broader debates about, about injustice, inequalities uh, in terms of gender, racial inequalities? Is there a way we can think of these together or should we think about them I think they're always intersecting um, racial inequality, gender inequality, economic inequality, um, 
inequalities around sexuality. It's one of the things I teach is that term intersectionality and try to talk to students about how we can't necessarily closely read a poem or a short story just in one of those realms, but we have to think about how um, things are always already inter interconnected. Um, one thing that has come up in the workshops here at CTI that I'm really interested in that I think speaks to your question is um, rest and the idea of resting being something that's perhaps hard to prioritize in black communities because of economic inequalities that are sort of entrenched in um, our nation. Um, so we've talked a little bit about that in relation to studies on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, in relation to current debates about reparations, because some people say reparations for black people should include rest. So I've really been grappling with that question. And I think it fits in with my study of sin, the sin of servanthood, the sin of slavery. Um, where does rest come into play there? So that's one way or one example of how all of these different inequalities are intersecting. I can't think about rest if I don't think about race, racial inequality and economic inequality all at once. Yeah, it's important. It's an interesting point because, as you say, the, the whole idea of the Sabbath as an actual sort of command or one of the Ten Commandments to keep the Sabbath, and yet we create societies in which many people cannot do that. Right. They actually are forced to not have the time to rest. Exactly. Um, so it's a profound point, I think. As a final question, are there certain ideas you're going to be taking back uh, to the College of Worcester um, when you go back and teach the com this coming year? Sure. I teach a class called Religion in Black Film and Literature. Um, in that class, I use some of the work of um, another scholar at the University of South Carolina. Her name's Kiana Witted. Her book is called A God of Justice, with question mark, The Problem of Evil in 20th Century Black Literature. So I love talking to the students about some of her writings about evil and what that word means in different contexts and the different readings that we do in our um, survey of African-American lit. I think we'll continue to do that, but now I have um, larger questions to ask after having spoken to a lot of the different um, uh, theologians here and people who've come from academic um, administration even in the way that we're thinking about diversity and inclusion on college campuses. How might we reinterpret this term evil or open it out to include other populations? Um, are we just um, reading about evil in a fictional text or is there a way that we can talk about how we're battling against evil even by thinking about the way we do admissions on college campuses? Um, so that's been the way I've been trained to think here at CTI and I'll continue to think that way with my students. And I think even when we're talking about poetry or short stories with students who are maybe just taking the class for a um, college requirement, they'll see how it applies to their sociology background or their psychology background, um, Africana studies. Um, so that really helps some light bulbs go off in the students' heads. I can see it when I'm teaching that, oh, okay, this isn't abstract. This isn't just a one course um, conversation, but instead I can apply it to all of the other classes that I'm taking for my degree. Hmm. Well, thanks so much, Leslie. This has been a really interesting conversation, and you've made such uh, an important contribution to the to the workshop at CTI. It's been so important to have you here and to bring 
your perspective from literature, from the intersection of religion and, and lit as well. So thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you, Josh. To learn more about CTI, visit our website at ctinquiry.org and follow our pages on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. 